What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 60 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I am joined, as ever, by my very good friend, and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? I'm very well, my friend. Growing ever more cynical as the days go by. As you'd expect. Um, but... <laughs> the inside world has got being friendly to me. But um, apart from that, all things are well. Can't complain. Looking forward to another good one, good one today. Mate, in the aftermath of our episode discussing architects for those that wish to exist, have you been going back and forth with the record since? I've been listening to it several times since. Yeah, I listened to it, um, I think, two or three times since we did the review. Doesn't get worse, does it? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, I've I've, conti- I've continued to enjoy it, and I'm, I'm I'm doubling down on the the this is the best choice that they could have made, and mm. this is the best sounding record that could have been produced at that particular time. Don't repeat anything that we've obviously put on the podcast, but yeah, um, yeah I, it's 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 the, it's the necessary and successful album that I expected it to be. We are a fortnightly rock and metal podcast, as I mentioned, brought to you by Noise.co.uk. However, last week we released a one-off episode as we had early access to Architects' brand new album for those that wish to exist. Um, so that's been our most successful episode ever so far. So anyone that's listened to that or anyone that listens to us in general, uh, thank you so much for that because me and Sam watching those numbers just roll upwards and upwards and upwards on that episode was, was really cool for us, man. I mean, me and you, Sam, you know, we don't kid ourselves. We know that in general, we're pretty small fish in the mu- in the alternative music podcasting world. But, and really we are just two best friends that talk about metal and there happens to be microphones recording us. But to see that, that rise and so many people like the video i had so we had a few personal messages say that friends that listened to it thought it was great and to see the success that not the episode the album is having on social media uh really really great for us and and that episode i really would recommend people go back and listen to even if you're not a fan of architects because i think it is one of the more in-depth album reviews that we've ever done i mean i think the episode is like one hour and ten minutes talking about one album yeah, it was great. If Architects could release an album every week, that would be really great yeah. for us. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was a pleasure to do, and hopefully a signal that when we when we do when we do these sort of albums, that there is an audience out there that's continually listening. That is also hopefully steadily increasing. We just need to continue to find ways to connect. Speaking of increasing, if you are listening to us, wherever you are, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, we are literally everywhere across the podcasting globe. Uh, give us a like, follow or subscription, whatever service you are using. And um, that would be really the best way to help us out. And um, I can't thank everyone enough who has already subscribed to us. Uh, if you are, if you're not subscribed, then please follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Uh, that's where me and Sam put out our stupid random musings that we think about uh, daily now. Uh, when we first started the Twitter, we were just jumping every now and again, but now me and Sam are literally a constant on there. And speaking of Twitter, uh, me and Sam are just finishing up now uh, the music writers experience, which if you are following us on Twitter, you will have seen us tweeting about daily. Uh, Sam, I'm just a, a few days ahead of you on the MWE, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um... But when... When we come to finish, you'll finish in the next two weeks, won't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So on the next episode, I believe me and you were discussing that we will talk about the three records from our 30 that we would like to discuss the most. Not necessarily because they were so good, 
just because the ones that we, we like to discuss the yeah, most. The, yeah, the ones that the ones that stuck out, the ones that were most impactful, whether it be surprising, negative, ones where you went in with no expectations and they really superseded it, ones that you went with big expectations and disappointed. Yeah. We'd be really interested yeah. in hearing that as well. Especially obviously because I listen to a lot of albums that you personally recommended that you really, really, really like. And yeah. you listen to a lot of albums that I consider like historically important. And it's in, it'll be interesting to hear that sort of um, that sort of juxtaposition between you, you going backwards and me sort of becoming a, a very contemporary listener over the course of that experience. I think that could be um, an interesting one. Well, for those who aren't aware and didn't listen to our, our last full episode, the, the Music Rise experience is where you pick 30 records. Well, it was it's meant to be an album for every day in February, but me and Sam decided that my OCD wouldn't allow that. Uh, so me and Sam decided to do 30 albums instead. I would pick my first 15, and then Sam would pick my last 15 and vice versa. So I spent my last, uh, to, as of today, 14 days listening to records that Sam uh, has recommended for me and just I've, I've got to talk about it Sam, since we're on the subject and I think I even tweeted this I'm absolutely certain that you put the Pogues rum sodomy and the lash in there as a as a personal joke on me absolutely <laughs> that I'm te- I am I don't care what you say dude that is definitely a private joke between oh. you and Jack just like when you and Jack had that random like orchestra band send me that album for those for those um, listening, for those listening, one day I hear a knock on the door. Something gets passed through the letterbox, and I, I see it's got my name on, but it's like it's like handwritten. So I was like, you know, it, it's the oh, this isn't like normal post. Someone has written my name on this. So someone specifically wants to make sure that Chris Pugh gets this item. So I open it up, and it's an album with a message inside. That's, I mean, I can't remember the name of the group. It's been, it's been a few years ago now. Um, now the group like, hey, um, we're really glad you reached out and, and requested the record. Uh, really hope you enjoy it. Uh, let us know what you think. And I was looking at like who it was and the credits. And I was like, this is like a jazz orchestra band. I don't, I don't know any of this. How has this even happened? As it turns out, it was a private joke between Sam and Noise owner Jack, which they didn't clue me in on until... God, was it like a week after Sam that I kind of mentioned it on the off and your eyes were like, oh yeah, you got that record, did you? Yeah, it's because they, they emailed us asking, we would specifically like this reviewed by your jazz experts, your jazz reporter, like your jazz blogger. And we said, we have one of those. Um, our, our jazz expert is Chris Pugh, who's listened to all of Zero jazz albums in his life so he would be a perfect candidate to listen to this and they were like oh great we can't believe they've got it was quite cool in the band actually i wonder if the band were, i hope the band are okay um but I, I i really did you listen to it what did you think i didn't listen to it because i there was a part of me that thought someone's winding me up here or this is a mistake I, I, <laughs> i've got no idea how this is like i don't understand why why haven't they asked me for it i thought you know you send someone something you check they want it first you know, I just, it was so, it was so... Seal of uh, approval was all that was needed. Yeah, I was just, and I, I should point out, this was years ago. This, I don't even think Noise had started then. I, I think it was, I think it was just uh, back when Jack was still doing his own personal blog. In fact, I think it yeah. was, wasn't it? It was still Jack's personal blog. It wasn't even Noise. 
um, that, that did this. Not to the nowhere, nowhere near to the formality that it is now. It might yeah. have had, it might have had the, it might have had the name, but I, I, I really do think it was Jack and occasionally me writing terrible reviews of of SoundCloud bands for at least the first few months. I'm not even sure how we got onto that onto that subject, but I figured I'd just bring it um, up just to um, you, talk about Jack being a dick. The, po- the, the Pogues. Oh yeah, so... pr- private joke, mate. I'm t- I'm convinced you and Jack have spoken, been like. For one of yours, chuck one in. That's just a laugh on Chris because no, Sam... no scouts, scouts honor. I genuinely, I genuinely wanted you to hear that album. Right, honest to God, okay. I, I, I think it, I think it's a, I think it's a great, I think it's a great album. I think it's a great Irish folk album. It's the Irish folk album. They're a fantastic band, and I wanted you to hear it. And I knew you would never listen to it unless it would be something like this that would actually force you to listen to it because you. Obsessive compulsive disorder wouldn't allow you not to listen to it, um, so it had to. It had to be this way. It had to be. It's, it's a. It's full of bangers. It's just so far out of my comfort zone. I don't even think I can formulate an opinion on it. Do you know I, mean? I mean, Sally Mac- Sally MacLean's a good song, though, isn't it? I've, I found it such a difficult album. I, I can't. Your musical palette. Just stretch further than mine. And I, I like to think I'm really open ended on music, but yours stretches even further than mine. And I just cannot. I, I was listening to it. And I was like, I don't enjoy a single moment of this. It's just absolutely unequivocally not for me. I just it it would kind of be like me playing Shadow of Intent to your dad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, I, yeah it's just not in his wheelhouse, is it? Yeah, like I, I'm sure your dad would be like, okay, objectively, this is for someone, but I, it's so far away. <laughs> I don't want to meet that person. <laughs> yeah, I don't ever want to be within 20 feet of him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, and that's kind of with me for the pose. Like, obviously, I knew of uh, the pose because of Fairy Tale in New York. So when you, when you chose the album, I thought, oh, right. Sam, like, album? Of all... <laughs> Of all the albums that, you know, 15 albums, Sam has chosen this Pogues album. So there must be like an, an overarching reason why he's chosen this. Maybe it's this like really widespread depiction of something really interesting or this introspective look on, um, I forgot the vocalist name of the Pogues. Uh, of, that's it. Of uh, an introspective look on his life, or maybe it's got like some oh. really great pop hook melodies and that kind of thing in it. Um, yeah. Which I suppose it has got hook melodies. Yeah, in it, I think so. I think it's got some pop sensibilities. I think it's yeah. got some really good songs on it. Yeah, that it has. But like, unless you're in Temple Bar, I, I, you know, I just I don't want to hear Irish folk music. So that was that was a that was a long ass hour that was listening to that album for me. Holy mother of fucking god, that was a long long time. Uh, but other other than that, thus far your choices have been solid. I was on I'm on the. Uh, Rodrigo, Rodrigo and Gabriella today. Uh, did you hear the? Have you heard it through? I've got halfway, and then I had to go to work, and I'm going to try and finish the other half off. Um, the half off if, after the podcast. I don't know if you've looked at the track listing, but there's a little surprise for you near the bottom. Right. Okay. Now I, I was just uh, I was looking at the name of the song that was on, and then kind of turning back around and carrying on getting ready. To be fair, I didn't give it my entirety of my attention, so I'm going to make sure I do. Um, for the for the second part of the album, um, 
before me and Sam just keep talking about the music writers experience, um, on this week's show of the Noise Podcast, we're going to run through the news. We've got album reviews on Pupil Slicer's debut record, Mirrors and Errors' new self-titled record. Plus, this week's is a very special Chris Meat. It was carried out between me and the entirety of Pupil Slicer. Uh, they're a three-piece, and that's never happened before. We had literally the entire band on. Um, I spoke to them about how the record was created, underlying themes, specific instrumentation ideas. Really, really cool stuff. They're a great, great uh, interview. So make sure you listen to the end of the episode for that. Sam, we are going to kick it off with the news. Not uh, as usual with the news. Not anything ground shaking going on at the moment. But there was a couple of things that I did just want to talk about. Uh, Download Festival has been cancelled until 2022. Though they have announced that Kiss, Iron Maid and the Biffy Clyro will be headlining next year's festival. Uh, Sam, this was the most predictable piece of news of the year so far. Well, I think what surprised me was that people seemed surprised by it. And I was like... They literally, the government literally said that best case normality and uh, all social restrictions lifted on June twenty first. That is after download. People seem surprised that it was it had been cancelled. Uh, that's it's. I'm surprised people are surprised at this. Yeah, in that in that sense, it is surprising. I guess what I was surprised that the delay took took this long as well too. But I am I assume behind the scenes they were trying to figure out whether it could be delayed. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think Andy, I think Andy Coppin and Co. Would, would begging to see if there could be a date change because you know you move it three three weeks down the line mm. and you are buzzing, aren't you? Like twenty eighth of June, um, but obviously then that's a knock on effect for you know the bands and everything, and and then on top of that, it's the people. Um, I know friends of mine that were that, that had tickets for it that um, are like, well. It's from my perspective, either it has to be that weekend because I booked it off from work, or it needs to be next year in the same weekend because I yeah, can't, yeah, yeah. I yeah. can't go if it's a week later, and that's that's also a massive issue as well. So I think it was the right decision. It was. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a good decision as well to say you know um, you bought your tickets. These are the headliners you paid for. These mm. are the ones that you'll see for the for no increase in price, no change, no circumstances. I think that's the right decision as well. Although that means I won't be going to download until at least 2023, personally. But um, oh, will you stop is... making decisions based purely on headliners? You bloody weirdo! <laughs> it's the biggest part of the festival, Chris. It's it's kind of like buying a house without liking what it looks like. I don't Not know. at all. There's it's four just... headliners on different. There is four headliners on different stages per night. That is absolute nonsense. So I'm not. I having... just feel like I'm putting money in bands I don't like pocket, and that that just offends me. No, but there's um... 200 bands on the festival. No, I'm sorry, Sam. Don't you dare say um and try and change tact, right? No, you've there's 200 bands on the festival. Right, it's not <laughs> no your money is not going to kiss Maiden and Biffy Clyro. All right, there's 200 bands there. Grow up. A bit of it is. <laughs> Admittedly, a bit of it is. Don't tell me. Like a bit of it is. You, mate, you've seen Maiden and you've seen Maiden before, haven't you? I have. Right, would you see? Have you seen Kiss before? I haven't. Right, I, I mean, I, I, you wouldn't fucking try your artist to see him, would you? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> I think if they were touring in Birmingham on their own, I think I'd consider it because they're supposed to be a good live band. Yeah. Um, so I'd be like, all right. And then, then you do that thing where you look on the website, you're like, tickets are how much? Yeah. £120 for Gene Simmons. Um, and that's, that, would, that would put me off tremendously. Obviously, I'll look at the whole lineup with the, if you make me go and see, if you make me pay and then sign the film next year, Biffy Clyro playing on the bill. Well, um, I mean, you know, like I said, 
I think. Do you know what gets me? Like we we get we we people we download right, and I and I have to bring it up. Place the case for arguing with just being sad. No, what what gets me like with people we download is that is that they'll they'll look at the headliners, and they'll be like, oh. This uh, this same metal or you know couldn't you have gone for like for like metal headliners and, and just to back up my point right I've I've got here Sam the twenty twenty what would have been the twenty twenty lineup Kiss Iron Maiden System of a Down headlining right okay so uh, let's just say that you, you're not a massive fan of those headlines and, and you wanted more you were hoping for more quote unquote metal although I'm not really sure what more you could want there Sepultura headlining the fourth stage. When 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 I made them play, although let's suppose no one would clash with no one was going to clash with Maiden. Sepultura were playing obituary. The, the final three bands on the fourth stage on the Saturday were dying features, obituary, and Sepultura. And someone's going to try and tell me they're worried about not being metal. Behave. <laughs> and, and then I mean. I mean, if you're not a System of a Dame fan, I'd be surprised if you go into that. You're not a System of a Dame fan, but you got Periphery on the fourth stage. What are you worried about? So I, 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 I agree. If I tell if I tell you that there are people that don't like both System of a Dame and Periphery, though, are you going to fucking lose your shit? Like, there's a good chance we, we better move on, bro. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> um, but yeah, because people are like, wear a Nightwish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those people um, are out there. They have Facebook accounts for some bu- reason. Yeah, burrowed somewhere, I hope. Having a terrible time. <laughs> uh, yeah, download cancelled till 2022. We saw it coming. And I'm looking forward to seeing what line of the game. What sucks is that like download had landed on a week this year where I could actually go. Whereas the likelihood is next year I won't be able to because it'll be in term time. But download's been cancelled till 2022. We saw that coming. Um, I'm, I really, really hope that 2022 is a really bumper year for download, though, and they get a real massive surge of ticket sales because I'm sure download is surviving, but just the concept of download quote to quote surviving isn't great. Um, that festival is going to need. Surely they're not living year to year, Chris. Surely. You wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine so, but because it's sponsored by Live Nation, bro, Live Nation must have been hemorrhaging money. For the last yeah, for the last for the last year, and obviously the, the pockets only run so deep, don't they? I mean, there, there is obviously a breaking point somewhere. I've got no idea of the financials. I'm not even going to pretend to guess. No, I've just got I'm, I've just got I haven't got a clue. But like I said, he, there's only so much money that that you've got, isn't there? That it can only be stretched so far. So I just sincerely hope that 2022 is a real massive year for download and. Obviously, it won't, I don't think they could ever have a year that would make up for two years of not having a festival and they will still see a profit. I'd imagine Download will probably be, you know, in the red for a few years now. But hopefully they have a really, really big 2022. And if I can, I will be a part of it. Uh, Sam, just as we close off the news, I was considering whether we should talk about this because I think one of the problems with this news story is that people talk about it. And, and they shouldn't, but it is being, it has done the rounds through social media. I've seen several people talking about it. And um, so Corey Tyler uh, did an interview and the specific quote I've got here is I'm the worst old fogey dude shaking his cane ever. He was, he said that in regards to his comments on disliking um, 
current modern rock music. If I just go into the news article and pick out a particular quote. Excuse me. He said the bands that quote unquote frustrating the most are those who take something that's been around forever and then just basically rework it and call it new, even though it's completely derivative. And this is the actual one of the actual quotes he went on to make. You know the band they're ripping off. They're not even trying to rip off a bunch of bands. They're ripping off one band. But the younger generation picks them up and says, this is our blah, 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 because they're tired of old people telling them that the music that came before them was better. And I don't know who's right, but I know both are wrong because we should be encouraging everything. I hate all new rock for the most part. I hate the artists who failed in one genre and decided to go rock. I think we know I think we know who he is, but that's another story. I'm the worst and I hate everything and people are used to that with me. But I have also encouraged the younger generation to think past the boundaries of what we listen to. Do something that feels fresh. It may not have to sound fresh, but it's got to feel fresh. If it's dead, then people are going to treat it as if it's dead. Now, I believe that the person he was referring to when he said failed in another genre and then take over this one is Machine Gun Kelly Sam. In fact, I'm really quite certain that's who he was referring to. But before I ask your opinion on what was said by Corey Sam, I'm just going to kind of circle back to my opening point. Is the problem that we keep talking about it in the sense of 45-year-old man says that rock music's boring and it gets posted on, on every alternative music news site. <clears throat> so then it's constantly met with messages of disdain and like, oh, he doesn't know what he's on about. I, I, I just don't know what the purpose of it is. Is is the purpose of reporting this to try and kind of convince people to put more of an effort into finding new bands? If it, if it is, I don't think anyone is reading this article that's done the rounds on pretty much every alternative media outlet and then trying to find a new rock band. For example, I don't think anyone's reading this news article and then being like, you know what? I will check out that new The Dirty Null record. What do you think? Well, I understand I understand the point you're making, but you, it, it, not the, they know the assertion isn't 45-year-old man. It's Corey Taylor, and that, that 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 that's it. That 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 name carries weight beyond his age. His age is irrelevant. It's and the, it's Corey it's Corey Taylor, the front man of the one of the more most divisive and famous metal bands in history. And when he says things, it it is news because we've talked about this ad nauseum. We talked about this um, on our last podcast. The amount of tangible place your hat on this personality and this charismatic figure and this charismatic band that we have had in the last 25 years is limited to three or four bands. And Corey Taylor is in that Lars Ulrich um, category where everything he says to anybody is news because of who he is and what he represents. And he knows that that's the thing. It's not the, I think we're coming at it from the wrong angle. It's not metal hammer, loud wire, loud sound, any of those faults for reporting what he said. He went out there and said stuff knowing that the moment it escaped his mouth, it would become news. He knew that going in and he chose to make that. It's not the internet's fault for talking about it. That was that was that was an inevitability. What the problem was is he didn't think beyond just saying this stuff. 
what the context of what he was saying was. And it, it doesn't sound a lot like he did his research other than I've heard a handful of bands and this is my general musings on those handful of bands. Um, I'm a really miserable old man and I don't care and I'm really angry, but I'll insult these bands implicitly without naming them as well, which came across really passive aggressive and bitchy for someone that supposedly paints himself as this I get to I can say what I want and think what I want sort of person it just didn't fit that image we have to go in knowing that everything he says is news that that has to be the acceptable truth unfortunately that's the nature of the game yeah Um, beyond 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 that it's that he he was I don't know foolish enough I don't know if there's a better word to use um, to use certain words and phrases and senses like that and put them out there. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was he's not stupid. He, he knew exactly what sort of response that would that would that would get. And him calling out someone deliberately also appears to be that it just obviously obviously it smacks with ignorance, but also it's hugely hypocritical. Corey Taylor's last album does exactly the things that he's criticising people. Yeah, yeah. In in this interview, you listen to that Corey Taylor's album. Oh, it's it's ZZ Top with Corey Taylor singing on it. Um, and that's the band he ripped off, by the way. And that that's what that's what he's doing, and that's derivative. And obviously, he's not listening to a great deal of Dirty Neil records. He's not listening to Pupil Slicer. He's not listening to Error. He's not listening to Architects. You know. They went on tour in 2020. You took Behemoth, yeah, who've been around for 20 years. You know, we're not this is not a band or a man that's involved in any decision making where they're handing out opportunities for the very genre that he claims is dying. And now, I want to juxtapose that by saying that Not Fest had Sleep Token on there, and I think that was cool as fuck. Um, but it also had like Megadeth and stuff, and there was lots yeah. of older bands, so let's not pretend that they weren't doing it for a green tinted reason. So, uh, that's what that's what that's what. Could be. I'm so glad you just made that point because this is where I think it gets interesting. Corey Taylor has, I have seen him in interviews say, people need to listen to Not Loose. Not Loose are brilliant and they're amazing live. And obviously he plays a part in Not Fest. He does know, he does listen. He has got an idea. What I think, I think perhaps people are getting crossed through the haywire here. I saw one person on Twitter, like, quote, tweet it and be like, what about Cult of Luna? And I was like, and and I laughed and I laughed and I I thought, no. What about him? (laughs) I thought, no, you're misunderstanding it. He's speaking about modern rock bands here, which, Sam, is there any good, is there any interesting modern rock bands not the, really, no. I mean, not not really. I mean, no. although that does sound a bit hypocritical because three, from me actually, three of my favourite records thus far this year have been rock records. Um, Teenage Wrist, The Dirty Nil, and Lonely the Brave. But I wouldn't classify those three as quote-unquote modern rock. Because... Yeah, I guess you have to, though, right? What else is it? Well, no, I mean, yes, it modern is rock. rock music. I believe... No, but what, the greater point that I should have actually... I should have given a caveat to. Corey Taylor is not going to hear Teenage Wrist, uh, uh, Lonely the Brave, or The Dirty Nil, because they're not a heavy band. They're not, like... They haven't got any kind of... Uh, Transcendence across they're the metal They're not working genre. in the same circles, are they? They wouldn't Absol- be meeting absolute- at the same parties. Absolutely not. Like, but 
Corey Taylor will know who Royal Blood are. Yes. So, I feel like his comment is more aimed at uh, the killers at All Time Low, at Machine Gun Kelly, at uh, Kings of Leon, Kings of Leon, at Imagine Dragons. I feel like he's going at the modern quote unquote, especially for Imagine Dragons, Jesus, the mo- the modern quote unquote rock bands that he will hear. He he's not going to know who Teenage Wrist are. He should. They're fucking great. But he's not going to know. So I, I think people read this or read the headline and are like, are you stupid? What about all these great bands that that, that exist that you're not paying attention to? What? I, of course, he's not going to make... He's not, of course, he's not going to say, oh, yeah, the, the rock is struggling apart from Cult of Luna. He's not going to just use your brain. Like, he's not going to be thinking about fucking Cult of Luna. He's going to be thinking about the rock artist, the contemporary that he will hear. Now, not loose, a fucking crazy, dirty, really massive hardcore band. He will have heard of them because someone's going to have tapped him on the shoulder or he will have been at a festival where they're playing. He's not going to be at a festival where the dirty never playing. So, yeah, like, I'm with you, man. Like, for me, I do question about... I know that the big publications are going to publish it because Corey Taylor news stories get clicks. Fine. But I'm just not quite sure on the, on the purpose and whether it actually benefits, whether people reporting, whether Corey Taylor or Gene Simmons, Gene Simmons, sorry, or Angus Young or Lars Ulrich or any kind of large figure saying that rock's dead. I don't know whether that actually helps towards the idea that it's not. I think it makes people who actually pay attention just want to pay less attention to the major bands, but I don't think that would then necessarily make rock be thriving again. No, I, but I think that we're, I mean, are these are these publications going into it trying to promote and make sure rock is thriving or do they just want retweets? Again, you, ask you know what I mean? Question. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, we promote Lonely the Brave or Slipknot. What's gonna What's gonna bring us more? And that that is that is the way that unfortunately that it, that it is. Um, but yeah, I, and I think he's right. I think if he's if he's attacking contemporary modern big rock music, then now say that Corey. Come on now, or you 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 you're in, you're in Slipknot. No no, you're not gonna lose any revenue. Name it. Say, say the bands you're talking about because mm. you've deli- you deliberately left it ambiguously and, and, and said it with such ambiguity and open to, 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 to reference that you do get people that are like, what about Cult of Luna? And it's just, you know, because you've left it to, to people's interpretation and say, well, actually, there's this band that I really like that you haven't specifically mentioned. So therefore, what you're saying is wrong. When in actuality, he should have been specific and said, I am talking about this, 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 this. And that is a problem in modern rock music because I agree. Um, one of the problems with modern rock music is the fact that we're so much running out of great modern rock bands that we're giving best rock awards to like Mumford and Sons, who were a perfectly viable band, but they're not a rock band. And that's what's happening. It's that the, the idea of what a great rock band is has been so blurred by the lack of quality bands coming through that we're running out and run- losing actually the idea of what a great big rock and roll band are. And that's a sad thing. But at the same time, we're also expanding in different areas, which someone should um, make Corey a little bit more aware of. And obviously, I know that the interviewer is obviously going to let him speak and do all that sort of stuff. 
but the follow-up questions I would have loved to have heard as well. What rock music do you listen to? What music, what music do you like? What sort of stuff do you get get into yourself? What do you listen to then? Because if you've got problems with the genre as a whole to be able to make these statements, what's what's actually diverting the other way? What are you immersing yourself into? And that would give us a bit more context on what he's trying to say. And it would probably be a better interview rather than what came out, which is just, you know, lone, um, sort of like loosely connected together statements about rock music in general, which I don't think helps anyone, as you said earlier. So we're going to move on to album reviews. We are going to start with Pupil Slicer. Every time I say the band name, I put a, a smile goes on my face. <laughs> we're going to start with Pupil Slicer's debut record, Mirrors. It's out March 12th via Prosthetic Records. It is the grind slash mathcore slash death metal three pieces debut record. Sam, Pupil, I, I discussed this with them on the Chris Meets. Pupil Slicer is the most heinous, aggressive, violent band name I've heard in my entire life. Uh, yeah, me, me too. Um, it's it's so violent. It's like a band album title for Cannibal Corpse, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's just horrendous. <laughs> it really is. The more the more you think about it, as well, the worse it gets. And then obviously you dive into the band, and and it there, uh, it's perfectly well suited to the music <laughs> that they've produced. And you make a good point there, Sam. So I'm going to lead straight in here. I heard this record, and I genuinely don't know whether this is too much for you how far does this record push you past your limit or how close does it get you to it um uh, as a as a as a listening experience there were large portions of this that were that were not enjoyable in terms of um the the heaviness and the deliberate that i knew that's deliberately intended to be a task deliberately intended to be a violent journey through the several genres that they that they map out here and that is that is um that is very well achieved there were lots of this that i did enjoy there were lots of this so i would say in terms of the initial question i would say that if you imagine that there's a border of what is acceptable in my head for music right and there's a version of me on one side of the border but there's also another version of me beyond the border and they're both waving at each other. That's what this album is doing where right, it's okay. there, are part, there, there are parts of this that I'm really into. And there are parts of this where I'm actively listening to where I had to actually stop, rewind, reread a lyric or two and, and, and genuinely be like, what the fuck was the last 40 seconds that I just heard? What's yeah. going on? And I, I take that from what you will. That's not, an, that's not, that's not a comment nor is it an insult. But you have to really sit with this, yeah, and, re- and really figure it out because there are. If you don't pay attention to this for ninety seconds, you've missed like four breakdowns and several equally heinous lyrics that you need to go back and, and take a look at as well. It's um, it's it's quite an album. For me, Sam, I think the moments of this album where they where people slice a break off into post rock or straight up metal elements are absolutely vital. Because if this record would have been 35 minutes of Stabbing Spiders, which is the second track, the album would have just fused into one big extreme mess for me. Because yes, there are moments on this record, purposefully so, where it is so extreme. It makes... Do you remember when we re-reviewed that Ithaca record? 
and I think that was like one of the first one of the first episodes we ever did. We reviewed Might have been like a second or third, yeah. Maybe second or third. Really good album, Language of Injury. It's called really, really solid stuff. Me and you said, holy shit, this is like moments of this is really, really extreme and it's violent and it, it but it, it's so it's got such sharp teeth that some of it is just completely unintelligible. Um, and there are moments on this record that are like that. But yes. thankful, thankfully, there's an intelligence in the songwriting where there is a break between and there are drop-offs and there are complete tempo shifts, which is really, really important. One of the first things I want to discuss with you, Sam, is that the band are a three-piece, which I... I mean, mate, there's so much going on in these songs. It's... it's I can't believe this. they haven't got seven members. <laughs> you know, there's so there's so much happening. that Three-piece? Seriously? I know. It, it, it's, it, it, is, it is quite extraordinary. But then, then you, listen, you listen to it in a few detail, you can actually... You can actually hear the separation between sort of the guitar and drums. And it is, yeah. obviously, in terms of the chaotic tempo shifts and stuff it is sparse isn't it it mm. is it is sort of quite separate and it is quite very quite raw and you can actually hear um where perhaps say uh, maybe an additional guitarist might have made some of these um post post hardcore stylings even thicker and that, and i think that could have really really helped because you can absolutely tell at times, not just that obviously they're pushing the boundaries of what extreme music sounds like for a lot of listeners, but you can absolutely tell that this is a young band. There is a whole host of energy and fury, and obviously at times that comes across in this really high-velocity, furious mayhem that really works. And like you said, other times it comes across as like incoherent, and at times, um, I don't know, sort of like a ta- Tasmanian devil, just sort of like whirling fists. And sometimes they connect and sometimes they're just sort of still um, rallying around because there are there are points of this that it is extraordinarily difficult to keep track of, both lyrically and musically. Um, but I, 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 I agree in terms of the in terms of the musicianship. This is um, this is incredibly impressive in terms of. Just the level of difficulty, like you talked about, um, stabbing spiders. Um, but there's a there's a four there's a four song run at the start. Um, Martyr, stabbing spiders, lapel David, and panic defense that are just it's just a whirlwind of of sound. It, it's yeah. just a, it is really is really really a cyclone of 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 noise that goes on here. That is astonishing, um, for for several reasons, and and not not unenjoyable at all but at the same time not not an easy listen by any means i would i would need to find out exactly the type of metal fan you are before i recommended this yeah um, this is sort of like finding out somebody's into cinema and then immediately recommending like particular scenes in hostel this is just like really sort of really sort of extreme in the way but as a as an active as an active musicianship the tempo shifts here some of the transitions some of the timing shifts and the rotations here from blast beats to slow to changes of rhythm. The drummer's job here is incredibly oh, difficult. Fuck yeah. You, you mentioned changing tempo. Mate, that explosive opening on Martyrs, 
the way the yeah. vocalist Kate just starts scaring out of the intro. And I think it's got that song's got my favorite musical moment so far this year. Uh, just out of the post rock bridge, the riff goes a bit sludgy and builds this drum fill that drops into the tempo change. I'm not, I'm not entirely I'm not sure whether you remember exactly what I'm on about, but it's, it's just a brilliant, brilliant manipulation of music. Um, and I think it's actually on Stabbing Spiders, though, that you get a real sense of the sonic anguish this album holds, just the relentless pinch harmonics beyond this really dark narrative tone. The lyrics to this album, uh, uh, and I'll speak to Kate about this on, on the interview, I mean, they are dark. She, she has gone to a really, really dark place to, to pen this record. One of the lyrics on Stabbing Spiders, it's fucking over my life, fucking thoughts in my head as I'm pulling out the dull knife and stabbing spiders that crawl on my skin, drilling through me within. And, mate, a more dull, picturesque, just kind of battering your struggle to find. But within the confines of the song, it works really well. Stabbing Spiders is so extreme. It's insane, that song is. It really, really is. Um, you, you mentioned talking to the interview about about the lyrical ideas. So I, I, I followed your recommendation. I actually read through this and, and I sort of tried to sort of um, sort of figure them out and try and try and use them as like a blueprint as if it would analyze poetry mm. uh, of sorts. And there appears to be a key theme throughout a lot of the writings that there's like an external tormentor that a lot of this is aimed at. Yeah. Sometimes the lyrics are written from the perspective of the tormentor themselves. And sometimes they're written from the perspective of the tormented. Like, I can't handle this. This is going on around me. And then sometimes it's, I am causing you pain and this will... So- make you suffer and stuff like that yeah did from from your conversation with um people so i'm going to ask you for my own information because i haven't heard it myself did you get any indication about what that tormentation was because that torment was because this i read through the um read through the pr as well trying to find a little bit of clues and i talked about like you know society victimizes people and makes people feel like as outcasts but this is incredibly violent yeah it's something that's generally aged society and there appears to be like if you listen to Panic defence appears to be a, a criticism of either capital punishment or rape law or murder. And it's yeah. very difficult to actually pin that across. Did you get any ideas about what that torment was that they were describing? Unfortunately, Kate has suffered a few bouts of abuse. I see. So, and she didn't, she didn't like give, I know what I've wanted to do, Jesus. She didn't give me like recounts of of the pure determining factors behind the writing of the record, but the way she speaks to me in the interview very much leads me to believe that your interpretation of the lyrics is entirely up to you, and it depends what your experiences with that specific theme are in terms of how you will take it. Very interesting you brought Panic Defence, because I also thought that it was an, a moral attack on the issues within the judicial system. Really intelligent stuff, by the way. That song. Yeah, I think I think there were some moments of of of, of when you when you strip back the actual um, the gore of the writing when you try and get to the message underneath. There's some there's some real dark there's some real dark imagery here, obviously. And there's some and there's some songs that are hate crimes of, of lyrical passion, aren't they? There are some there are some songs on here that when you actually strip away 
oh, it's violence because it's violent and violent. There's a, there's a few songs here, you know, like vilified yeah, and and worthless, um, are just violent phrases melded together. It seems and intent on punishment and stuff like that. But I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, the final 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 song as well i thought i thought that was a real example of that what well, we're talking about lyrically here the, the lyrics on collective unconscious are great yeah um and 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 talking about the 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 actual it felt like it was like a payoff for listening to the whole album because you got to this end and it was a real sense of reflection and a tempo shift and there was like it was almost like a relieving sense of structure and stuff that actually coupled with these lyrics that actually felt a little bit like Svalbard near the end. Yeah. With the, with the blast beats her crying out over the top and that fishing into this sort of like discorded strumming with like a clear, like sort of net, um, um, sort of minor melody sort of playing over the top. I felt that it was a very melancholy song that was a complete juxtaposition to the rage that precedes it. But what I wanted to say is that obviously that shows that beyond the violence, which depending on the type of list that you can take or leave, can't you? And you're either into that or you're not. And if you're not, you shouldn't listen to it. And if you're into it, you'll absolutely love it. It's the same when we review Knock Loose and Ithaca and, and Ben in Prison and, and, and all these bands that are like, you need to kind of be this kind of level of, of metal fan to sort of give this a go. Um, but this is, is actually, at the end, shows a very accessible side to them and an interesting depth that I, I was not prepared for at all, obviously, after listening to the first nine or ten songs. On this album, so I want to I want to give I want to give that a mention as well. Yeah, I think this is a it's it's a it's just a, a collection of furious anguish just throughout. It is um, it's just it's just a it's just an experience in terms sonically and otherwise. And there are lots of this that are re- it's really difficult to sit down with. And obviously, I think that's intended to be so. Um, but there's also there's also lots of this that is well worth any right thinking metalhead's time. Well, mate. Let's talk about Husk, because... Great album. Great song, sorry. Real nice riff at the start. That's my favourite song on the album, that is. Really impressive levels of technicality. I mean, mate, the the way the guitar is worked and constructed on that song, it sounds like every time I die, which... Yeah, there's that that deep sort of, like, sliding riff at the start. I enjoy it. Which, in an album that, for the most part, is dramatically faster than anything... Every time I die, I've ever written, and that's saying something because they're hardly yes. a mid—they're hardly a mid-tempo country band. <laughs> but th- that is very difficult to pull off in an album that is so, like, frenetically furious. I—I I don't think I've heard an album this intensely insane for quite a while. I mean, this album, mate, makes fucking Code Orange sound like State Champs. Like we listen, and I'm not saying that in terms of I think this is better than Code Orange. What I mean is the pure like intensity of it all. The, this yeah. is this is the most insane, furious, angry, vehement album I've heard in in so so long. Like worthless. I don't think I've ever heard a song like it. It's like Code Orange on speed. Just this sweeping assault of sounds admittedly some of it does get a bit lost in the static with the amount that's going on but it goes at such a pace the there's album... a lovely there's a lovely fade isn't there between yeah. the two songs on worthless yeah there is and i when we, the album that we're reviewing next 
I've only listened to it twice. But I've still got a real fair idea of what I think of it. I could not have listened to this album twice. I, I had to listen to this album. I think I've heard this album like five or six times to, to really have an idea of what exactly it is because obviously people listen to music in different ways and me and you listen to music differently. And you are much more able at capturing a record quicker than me. For me, it, it does take a real few listens to really get a, a, a sonic blueprint in my mind of what this record is. And I had to do that with this. I could not have listened to this album twice. If I had listened to this album twice on this podcast, I would have said to you, Sam, I don't know what this album is. This is insane. I've got a, I need to like play this album at like 0.5 times speed to like figure it out. Maybe that's because you're a musician and I'm not. But with me listening to this album so much, I don't think we've actually said whether we like this or not. I think this album is really, really good. I really think this is great. It's a really interesting very, very out there and obtuse piece of extreme metal, but it's unlike anything else, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's fucking unique. Yeah, I think I've, I definitely think unique within its genre is a perfectly, um, a perfectly acceptable terminology to, to, to put on this. It is um, one of one in terms of the type of album that I've heard this, you know, I've heard this year. Uh, it's 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 still in the it's in the not it's in the knock loose category, but like knock loose is on one end of the spectrum, and this is a bit further along. Um, this is this is a listening experience. There are lots there are lots there are lots of this that is um, just beyond the realms of, of reasonable expectation about what a band what a band same should be, mm. and it is deliberately it's deliberately designed to be a challenge. This is the same way. It reminds me a little bit of sort of like early grindcore with Napalm Death, yeah, and um, Nazi punk fuck off and all that sort of stuff that used to come around sort of when punk started turning into hardcore and you got that transition period um, between sort of light punk and, and and the sort of really kind of punk thrash stuff that you kind of got that was really difficult to get into as well. Um, and this this is in that, this is in that. I don't think, there's the thing though, if you're a fan of this, no one's going to a pupil slicer record with a map, with a, with a lighter in their pocket prepared to get it out and they're not going for that experience they perfectly cater to whatever their listenership is going to be by providing an incredibly gruesome experience sonically this is absolutely what it is supposed to be um this is supposed to be an intense listening experience for for metal fans that enjoy intense listening experiences and it just depends on where on the spectrum you you find yourself there are parts of this that I really enjoy. There are parts of this that I don't. Um, uh, there are parts of this that I struggled that I struggled with. In, in fact, honestly, there are parts of this that I listened to, and it started to affect my mood. <laughs> like, um, like in terms of the intensity and the darkness of it, it's difficult not to listen to this. I was listening to it and reading the lyrics at the same time, which is sort of the same experience I think as, as sort of watching certain scenes from like. Quentin Tarantino films and stuff where it's just like it just becomes you sort of immersed in this just horrendous prism yeah. for a little bit and 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 it's 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 an absolutely vivid experience it's the same quality in sort of watching a watching a horror film or a thriller and there are some parts of this that are deliberately off-putting and deliberately challenging for listeners and if you are if you are into that and if you are if you enjoy that element of challenge as a listener for you then that then that is a rewarding experience, and if you are on a different side of the the, the listening spectrum, then this is going to be a real problem. But 
they're not aiming for anybody other than someone who really likes extreme metal. And I think they hit that moniker right on the head. I think they are perfectly suited for the genre. I mean, this is going to sound absolutely horrendous inside a um, a, a small club. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be levelling. Like downstairs in the underworld. Mate, if you put these as an opener for, an ex- for, a, for a relatively large extreme metal band and they're just playing 40 minutes... Or head like you said, head like mate. If you put pupil size opening for employed to serve, in in, yeah. in like somewhere in, in Digbeth, mate, it's just gonna it's just it's it's gonna fucking kick off. It's music designed to to be live. And there was part to this where I was looking at the lyrics, thinking, are these are these genuinely aimed at a particular thing or person? Is there a metaphorical reason, or or is it is it just gonna sound really fucking great to shout like? murderous things at the top of your voice while these riffs are playing could you write a song about the tax system over these riffs you know you probably couldn't could you it's the these these songs don't lend themselves to romance so that it has to be it has to match the intensity so i think i think there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot to like about this but you need to you need it's like a roller coaster really you need to be a certain type of metal fan to get on board with this because this is an incredible experience in, in several several different ways. I do want to make one quick mention of how intelligent I find large parts of the record, though. Like, Mirrors Are More Fun Than Television is the most interesting track on the album, I think. It's, yeah, I think that's fair. It's probably the quote-unquote laughing face lightest, though not light in any way, shape or form. But it holds all this fluctuating rhythm and it's got some genuinely, legitimately progressive moments in it. Plus the slow, like that slow repeating lead riff that sits underneath the second verse is beautiful. And that instrumental ending is really quite effervescent as well. And I think that we've, and it's hard when you talk about this album to not talk about the insanely quick blast beats or the, the fucking bass rhythm, which just bludgeons your fucking scully. It's really easy to go straight to those. But actually, uh, there's a real le- level of intelligence, not just to um, Kate's lyrics, but also to the writing process of this record. And to, to fuse this record together, which is just this amalgam of a million ideas that somehow has been like kind of squeezed and cubed into these 40 minutes, it is really quite an impressive feat. And this album you are absolutely correct this album is for a niche niche audience but i feel like there is an element of this where perhaps you could broaden pupil size to as you said if you like employed to serve give these a go but they're at the extreme end it would be like I'm trying to think of a good of a good a good example of this would be like if if you're into hate breed, that kind of pounding rhythm, maybe you should maybe you should give Vane a go. That kind that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, like hate breed got this pounding rhythm. Fucking Vane will take the concept of pounding rhythm and make it feel like you've got a baseball bat being swung around your head every two seconds. Um, and I feel like that's a good depiction of what this album is not ex- yeah it's like purposefully like unaccessible listen to alpha wolf yeah yeah it's purposefully unaccessible but 
for those that dig the extremity, this album will be such a diamond in the rough because this is the debut record and literally they've just rose out of nowhere. Small following on social media, which I've got no doubt that's going to really increase probably tenfold over the next six to eight months because I think this album is just capturing. If you're into extreme metal, this album is is really, really capturing. I, I very, very seldom heard an album as intense as this and and they're a great interview as well so if you're still listening uh, make sure you stick around at the end of the show for that but man I, I really really like this album i'm glad we're talking about how intense it is but i also wanted to mention about the intelligence of it as well yeah absolutely i don't think you can write songs that are this um this difficult to follow without an element of blueprinting and planning uh, because I, I've heard a lot of unintelligent metal and the majority of it is slow, slow and meandering and thoughtless and stuff like that. Which is absolutely not that. Um, I don't, I don't, I just don't think you're capable of writing songs that have these sort of changes and transitions without a level of musical intelligence. And the, the, the degree of difficulty alone means there's some very, very committed musicians going on here. Uh, not to mention, not to mention some of the vocabulary behind some of the lyrical um, lyrical content as well um, sort of seems to indicate at a, a level of education that surpasses your expectations when you think of extreme extreme metal um, yeah I, this is an incredibly intense niche experience that a certain amount of a certain amount of metal fans will be suited for but that certain amount of metal fans would probably really really like this within that group if you if you like if you listen to grindcore and you like Napalm Death and Bits of Cannibal Corpse and, and stuff like that, you should be all over this, really. And that that because that's what you're after. It has everything. It has that pummeling, percussive, slashing rhythm. It's it's songs that seem to be soundtracks to heinous crimes. And if that's what you want from your music, if you think Eeyore is the best Slipknot song, then you need to listen to this. Just before my interview with Pupil Slicer comes in, Sam, at the end of the show, we are going to finish off album reviews on the new Era album. It is self-titled and out on March 19th via Unified or UNFD for short records. Um, it is the band's fifth album and the follow-up to 2018's Neon. Sam, is this the first Era record you've ever heard? It is. Same, actually. I've, I've always heard the name. But never, they are one of those bands where it's like, oh yeah, I'll listen to them next week. And then it gets lost in the ether. And then eventually you just completely forget. And here we are. Um, I suppose, Sam, one of the best ways to look at this album is to compare it to Wage War's early materials, such as Dead Weight and Blueprints, because there's that ebony and ivory of harsh and melodic chorus vocals. Though I, I would say that Ever Take are much much more technical stance than wage war musically. So actually in practice, I feel like this falls somewhere in between North Lane's last album, Alien, which is still really good, by the way, and Periphery. Not a bad place to be, is it, Sam? No, no, I would chuck Misery Signals and August Burns Red in there as well. Decent shouts. Um, there's a chance that me and you are going to spend a lot of our time in this review almost repeating ourselves, I feel, because this record sticks to a formula, but for me, nails it in terms of 
consistency and is a brilliantly high quality album for what it is. Yeah, I, I agree. As melodic metalcore goes, there is a there is a template, there is a blueprint that exists, and if it's done very well, it sounds a certain way, and this absolutely does that. Um, because there are elements, as you'd expect, listening to this, and you can pick them apart, and you, you're right. Um, Latter Day North Lane, uh, The Of Mice and Men EP that we just reviewed, mm-hmm. it rings yeah. a little bit familiar in this one. Um, obviously, August Burns Red Misery Signals, um, bit of Polaris um, from la- early last year as well, all coming into play. Uh, you, we could go on, could we? Melodic metalcore bands just popping out the ground. Um, and when it, this when this is really good, it's really, really, really good. Um, but like every melodic metalcore album that I have ever reviewed, it's all about the chorus, all about the chorus. And it's, the guitar work is always going to be there and it's always going to be decent breakdowns. It's always that has never changed. The musicianship is always there. That's why it's metalcore. You know, there's always going to be guitar solos um, and some of the guitar solos on this are separate now. Fantastic. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, where this where this album is fantastic is when the songs have the best gravity from the choruses. So, for example, for me, the personal highlights are the open of Snowblood. Um, I think House of Glass is great. Shadow Autonomous is great. Um, the finish at the end, by the way, beautiful with the, the sort of the go back to the acoustic with the lead riff over the top. Really, really nice. Um, I, I enjoyed Eldion and Remnants. And the rest felt like B grade versions of the first one. So that's where, I'm, that's where I'm at with this. When it's good, it's very, very good. And the musicianship is excellent. The breakdowns are excellent. The transitions are fantastic. This is clearly a, a tight bandit kit. Every metalcore band seems to have the same producer because they all come out with an album that has this certain sheen to it and just really over, not overproduced, but very tightly produced, really thick, clean cut sound. And that is exactly what's come across here. Musicianship is obviously phenomenal. The guitarist has clearly spent the the last 18 months watching Eddie Van Halen videos for the amount of tapping. And so the the sort of guitar sweep work that he's doing is very sort of Van Halen-esque. And there's some obviously periphery gents going on here as well. I think overall, this is a very good metalcore album. But obviously the flaws that exist with this are the same flaws that exist with metalcore elsewhere is that at times for me, it verges on the cheesy. It verges on the uh, oversaturation of the pop stylings and even veers on a little bit of corniness in terms of the musicianship at times sometimes, like it's deliberately major key. It was a part um, near the end one of the solos where there's like a yeah I think it's the end of Remnant where there's like a Dragon Force type guitar solo where that sort of effect comes in it just sounds very vocoded and it's 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 a bit too sweet at times um, and that's absolutely fine I think if you're a metalcore fan you'll be into this and I metalcore is one of my favourite genres of music period and I there's lots of elements of this that I really enjoyed it's one of the better better metal albums that I've heard so far this year bear in mind it's obviously March but um even so, I think this album is very good in places, um, good overall. And there are some parts of it that I'm thinking, you know, could do with a bit of work, could do with a bit of harshness, because it just feels a bit formulaic. Where do you sit with this? I think the musical playoff between Jesse Cash, Sean Price, who were two guitarists, and the bassist, Connor Hess, blows me away, mate. The, the way that whenever you hear a clean section, it's constructed and propped up by 
not just a pounding rhythm, but one that really gives off gives the main riff a spotlight. And Connor's bass is constantly reshaping itself to fit what's surrounding it. I, I felt myself really quite gripped by those moments on the album. You make a good point that with this album, it sticks to such a template that there are some songs that just aren't as good at executing the template as the one that came before it. I yeah. think the opening two songs, Snowblood and Gungrave, are a good example of that. Because as soon as you hear Snowblood, it gives a real indication of what this album is going to be. Big anthemic choruses and technical guitar mastery. I mean, there's a there's an unbelievable solo after the second chorus. I mean, I was listening to it. It's the first song on the album. And I was listening to it. I was like, holy shit, Sam's going to be losing his mind at this. And then there's a fight riff breakdown on Gungrave. It's like kind of performed in double time, almost like an yeah. after the burial breakdown. Really heavy, really heavy, wonderfully produced. The hard riff comes back after the on and on and on vocal. Really, really good stuff. And then by the time you reach the visionary, which is the third track on the album, you become fully aware that, okay, this just isn't going to chase any new ground at all. It's going to execute the playbook that's already been placed for it previously. Though there's not actually anything wrong with that as long as it's being done well. And that's where I sit on this album. This album is quite very predictable. But as long as it's being done well, I haven't really got a problem with it. Me and you have spoken before about sometimes there's like, me and you, we want fresh, but some people are like obsessed with the idea of something sounding new. And I, I think that just gets, that they, that theory is great, but in practice it gets lost because not everything has to be fresh. Some things will always sound great to me. This version of progressive metalcore will always sound great. The opening riffs of Shadow Autonomous, Autonomous, sorry, will always be amazing to me. It's something you'd hear on As Daylight Dies era kill switch. It's got a beautiful vocal performance from Jesse Cash as well. The kind of spidery clean riff that runs underneath the chorus is amazing. Like that song, yeah, I saw everything coming. I, I could have predicted from the first 10 seconds, I could have told you where everything was coming in that song. Who cares? It's done really, really well. And there's, you know, no pun intended on me saying that we're going to sound like a broken record. But again, mate, the guitars on Electric Twilight, they're amazing. The outro is incredible. This real level of, of the double punch of melody and kind of fierce, fierce tuning is done really, really well. And um, I think Scorpion Hymns helps the pacing because it's probably the heaviest track on the album. It's the one that least, probably least relies on a big melodic pop chorus to come in out of nowhere. But as a whole, mate, I think this album is is really, really good. Mate, our mate Kelso will be all over this. He's going to gonna... fucking adore this. I was going to say the same, so will Leon. Yeah, yeah, uh, Leon will love this it, as well. It, 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 remi it reminds me of Phineas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great shout. The one it, thing it's technical metalcore with big choruses. That's all it is. The one thing I was the one the, the one moment of this where I was like, this ain't working was when they did the eight oh eight and heartbreak Kanye West vocal effects on Luna Halo. Yeah, I wasn't I, big on that. I wasn't big on that. Um, 
there's a massive pop melody in the chorus which kind of make, kind of makes up for it. Although that song sits at six minutes, and I really don't think that anything in that song requires such a such a such a runtime. Um, that song could have been taken out for me. But w- I don't know whether you'll remember this. When you heard Vanish Canvas, mate, I just couldn't stop thinking about Remaining Doors by Periphery. Well, that's a good shout. That's a really good that shout. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun, dun. That like it literally like it is almost like hilarious how similar it sounds. But I wasn't expecting the really sudden fluctuations between harsh and clean vocals. And my favorite vocal hook on the whole record actually is in that chorus. It's a it's fucking so good. And again, the solo that comes in after is just just mind blowing. I mean, I I was listening to this and. Formulaic though it might though it may be, Sam, mate, you've got to just sit in wonderment at the guitar performance on this album. It, fucking hell, it blows me away at points. I, I I agree, I agree. I also very much enjoyed. So I'm just having a flick through. Sort of occurred to me, every song title sounds like it could be an expansion pack on Destiny. <laughs> yeah, that's a cracking <laughs> shout. That is, that's a cracking shout. Ungrave, Divisionary, Electric Twilight, Lunar Halo, Remnants. Uh, memory fiction. I mean, it's 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 they're all video games, aren't they? That's what it, that's what it sounds like. Um, but um, I think overall, in terms of the, the the musical quality, it's it's typically exceptional. Um, just typically exceptional. The guitarists' work on some of some of this stuff is is beautiful. There's some absolutely phenomenal guitar styles. I thoroughly enjoyed parts of it where um, it sounds like the band step back and the guitarist steps forward yeah. where the band just go into this half times like half time stuff to allow the guitar to come straight forward and be the centerpiece almost like in like those like school talent show films where the spotlight comes down and the guitarist just sort of steps forward like near the end of school of rock or something but i i really enjoy it i really enjoy it like i, I my number two album last year was polaris i, I love i love metalcore I love Metalcore. I love the Misery Signals album last year as well. I really like the August Burns Red album, although it was repetitive, but I, I like August Burns Red. I love Periphery. Uh, this is this is up my street. Um, I also have a massive amount of time, and I'm, I feel like it's coming back. Clean guitar in metal. Yeah. Oh, oh fuck me. I just love it. I, I absolutely it, love clean, clean, yeah. clean guitar in metal. There are just some absolutely beautiful cleans and electric twilight just absolutely beautiful um and just there's there's a, there's a particular type of clean on memory fiction where it actually sounds like i don't know how to describe it, it's like glittering the guitar strings are at the start it's like a shimmering sound like like sort of like a, a pool of oasis with a like, moonlight hitting it it's, it's that kind of that sort of imagery sort of coming across me and i'm i'm all about that i'm all about that and you know what, man? You're absolutely right. Metal will always have play, will always have a place for bands like that, for musicians that good. We'll always have a place for it because there are every every four or five years there are kids that pick up guitars and drumsticks and stuff like that that love bands like that. And I was one of those kids that loved bands like that. When you're 15, 16, you can hear those sort of guitar solos and go to those shows and see that take place. That's fantastic, and that's part of metal as well. And I'm just glad that we are continually producing those. And I agree with you. This is not a game-changing genre-breaking album. This is not going to change the path of metal. But who the fuck cares? Every not every album needs to be not every album needs to be fucking kill them all. 
it just doesn't need to be that way. Um, this is a good album from a good metal band that should have fans and should fill arena, not arena, sorry, but should fill venues and should make money. Good for them. They're a great collection of musicians, and I wish them all the best. This is a this is a good album. This is this is this. If, if I tell you what, if Jared Dines and Howard Jones sound like this, I'd be dancing around the fucking room. Yeah, me too. That's a cracking point. That is me too. If they said it this good, I'd be I'd be like, this Howard Jones is back. He's back. He's it's fantastic. Jared Dines is the rep. Do you know what I mean? So context is important. Good for them. Just as we finish off, it's important for me to put it. I'll be, I'll be looking to get hold of a, a lyric. This is one of the albums that I think I'd probably buy this record. I'm looking to get hold of the lyric sheet because the album is actually centered around the infamous suicide forest in Japan. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard of it? Yeah, yeah, it's called uh, Akagihara. Akagihara, I think it's called. Um, and which is a really interesting concept to surround an album with in terms of confronting depression and anxiety and stuff like that. Um, so I think that while this album, predictable though it may be, it also confronts really intelligent ideas that, like I say, I'll, I'll need to get hold of a lyric sheet to be able to really pick it apart, but especially because I've only listened to the album twice, like I mentioned earlier in the show. But whilst we may say predictable, perhaps we're not giving it enough credit for concept and uh, themes because mate strictly musically i think this album is great I, i'll go i'll go one step ahead of you you say this is just this is a good metal album i think this is great i really do I, I, me and you have spoke several times i love metalcore just like you love metalcore so when someone does it well i'm going to be all in i'll need to listen to it more but early indications for me have put it at, at, on par with wage wars blueprints and perhaps maybe even ahead of North Lane's Alien because I'm just so captured by the guitarists and the bassist. I think they're amazing. The, the, this album is really, really good. Caught me. I mean, I've never heard an error record before. Really caught me off guard. I mean, the absolute kings, untouchable kings of this genre are Vale of Maya. And they are just streets, miles, fields, whatever metric you want to use, Vale of Maya are ahead. But, man, there's a massive place for bands like Error just sitting in the undercurrent. I think it's a really, really good record, man. I, I really enjoyed this. I, I'm going to go. I'm gonna spend a lot of time going back to this, I think. Yeah, I think it's a really, really good and enjoyable record. And every time I, there'll be a few songs when this finally formally releases, they'll be putting on various playlists. And, 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 I'm, and I'm really happy to have another band of this ilk that I can continue to enjoy and listen to and, and spend time with. Long, long live Metalcore, man. Long live it. That's going to bring to an end episode 60 of the Noise Podcast. Sam, however, coming up right now is my interview with the entirety of Pupil Size. So if you are still here, thank you for listening, but don't go anywhere just yet. Uh, give us a like and a subscription on YouTube or whichever podcast system platform you are listening to us on. It's the best way to support the show. Um, we have given you a hell of a lot of content over the last three weeks. We are going to be back in two weeks' time. Definitely discussing uh, three records that me and Sam each want to discuss from the music writer's experience, and I'll have a look and see what new records are coming out. Although, I'm fairly certain, Sam, we're going to do Sanguisuga, Bog. Do you remember when I sent you that song last week? Uh, yes. That's <laughs> going to be... Um... That's going to be interesting. That's going to be an experience. Um, stick around. People Slice Through interview is coming up right now. We will see you in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us.
Bye. So I'm now joined by the entirety of Pupil Slicer. This has never happened on the Noise Podcast before. So uh, thank you so much for your time tonight, man. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's uh, sick. I... I, I hate asking boring, generic interview questions like, oh, how did you get your name? Um, but Kate, am I correct in saying that you originally come up with the idea of Pupil Slicer for the name as a joke and then decided yeah. to run with it? <laughs> yeah, I just thought, I was coming up with a, with a mate, we were just thinking up funny band names and I was like, Pupil Slicer. And then we were both like, that's too good not to use. It's hilarious. <laughs> I've, I've purposefully gone out of my way and told people who I work with and stuff that don't listen to metal at all uh, that who are, that I'm interviewing you today. Like I'm interviewing this band called Pupil Slicer, and like the, react- <laughs> the reaction on their face, like Pupil Slicer, that is that's horrendous. Like, okay, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> w- was there a conversation of like w- once things started like picking up pace and maybe things starting to get a little bit more serious? Did you feel like you were too far in to change it then, or was it the case of no, Pupil Slicer is awesome. Let's stick with it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think after a while, Josh brought up that, uh, you know, we'd had people saying, is it a reference to that Salvador Dali, um, an Andalusian dog? Uh, Which, like, uh, it wasn't intentional, but then we were like, that's really sick. We like surrealist cinema and stuff. And then um, also we we noticed... (laughs) Yeah, we we also noticed that, like, loads of people reacted to the name and, like on a gig listing they'd just be like oh what a horrible name for a band or that band that name's sick we've got to see them so it's like i feel like sure it doesn't really fit what we're doing but like it 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 catches attention and you know it's fun it's a fun name so you guys did a split ep with uh, sense offender um and i've been going back and like doing my research and stuff and there's a song on there called spectral and there's a part where I was listening. I thought that sounds like Nicholas from Bloodborne saying Grant or so is there. Um, <laughs> is, is that Nicholas from Bloodborne? Yeah, yeah, that's that's Nicholas. That from is the, honestly, that is the coolest thing in the world. I was we did a run of shirts oh, at the time that had Grant or so is written on the back. <laughs> that is the coolest thing in the world. I was listening <laughs> and I thought sounds a bit like Nicholas that does. And then I thought, hang on. That's fucking Nicholas from Bloodborne. This is the as if I didn't love the band enough. Now I now I find that the Soulsborne fans. I won't go too far into my rabbit hole on Souls. So they've forty minutes to talk about Miyazaki and nothing else. Um, but I'm really really glad that that is a Bloodborne reference. That's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, Whose idea was that? Uh, was that my idea? It's probably my idea yeah, first. Kate's, yeah. I got Josh to play Bloodborne after I'd played it first. Uh, I wanted to chuck that on there. But there's the album's got tons of references like that on there. There's like a Resident Evil quote, there's Max Payne, there's yeah. Max Payne, very nice. <laughs> the funniest um, have you if you heard our um, EP, um like the first sort of demo E which is just called Pupil Slicer. No, because um, I don't believe yeah. that's on Spotify. It's not on Spotify. No, it's, 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 it was not like really. a sort of demo demo thing, but there's a quote, there's a really weird, like, slowed down... There's a sample for it. ...sample, which is just going, the slicer is indomitable, the slicer is indomitable, <laughs> over and over again, and it sounds terrifying. But it's actually from Seinfeld. It's where Kramer. Like, it's like Kramer going, this slice is indomitable. Like, I'm really funny. <laughs> I love it. I, love <laughs> it. Really like, I wonder if anyone will pick up on that. No one has yet. But, yeah, it's quite funny that um, yeah. to, like, put stuff like that in the songs. But 
yeah, Bloodborne's a sick game, so that's another cool one. Well, I thought it was really fitting as well because had I not have known that it's Mikolas from Bloodborne, that would have scared the shit out of me. Because <laughs> that is a genuinely like uncomfortable piece of dialogue from the game. Did you did you add that in as a way of thinking this is this sounds cool because either people will know it's from Bloodborne or it's gonna scare the shit out of them? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um there's loads we're going to discuss about uh, mirrors, but it is something of a tonal shift uh, from the EP that we previously mentioned. Um, was there a specific reason that you wanted to expand and do something different so early into your career? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with that EP and stuff was we weren't sure what we were doing uh, and we were sort of finding our fitting. I mean, when the band started, it was just leftover grindy riffs that we like did as a joke. So we had a funny band name, um, me and someone in another band. And then we got Josh in on drums and then that, the other guy left our original vocalist and we were sort of just left with me and Josh and me and Josh were like, well, we're getting gigs with this band with a funny name. What should we do with it now? And then we were like, well, what music do we actually like really like and want to do? And at that point we sort of decided instead of trying to play into any genre of like, Oh, we want to be grindy or we want to be like carcass or something. We'd tried to sort of expand a bit and just anything we like, well, there was a p- turning point where I realised I can literally write anything I want and give it to the others and we'll probably be able to turn it into a song and like make it work. So from that point onwards, we sort of were like our core bands we were into, like Dillinger Escape, Plan Marillo, mm. Tomasi. Mm. Um, we wanted to capture those kinds of live energies because those are like the most fun bands to see live, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just there's so much energy there so replicating that but then musically doing whatever we want with the sound like there's a bit of death heaven in there there's a bit of cult of luna post-rock in there there's mm. you know it was a bit of everything going into it luke we were kind of talking about it before um we actually press record here um just for people who might end up listening that aren't aware exactly how you joined and the quite funny circumstance around it can you just uh, repeat to me what you were saying before we started recording yeah, of course. So I, I uh, um, hit up Kate just because I saw the advert yeah. and thought, wow, that, that name is uh, brutal enough <laughs> that I'm interested to see what it's about. And then the aforementioned EP, uh, I was like, this is cool. This just sounds like really uh, like old school death metal, but it's kind of grindy. I can just learn that. Um, like real quick and just bash it out with loads of distortion and a pick and not have to properly learn it because I've been playing gent and death metal for so many years. We have to actually put loads of effort in like <laughs> loads of effort. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I joined uh, and then Kate was like, Oh, Oh, so you can play. That means we're going to play really technical math call. And I was <laughs> like, fantastic. Um, but I guess the other part of that is that when I hit Kate up, uh, she ignored me for like three months or something <laughs> because she thought I looked unreliable. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, okay, I was not expecting that. Which is a bit of a hit as well because I'm a project manager uh, in my... You're the most reliable <laughs> member of the band. But to be fair, you did have like really long dreads and like two pints of beer in your profile picture. So I was like, mm, this, is this guy going to learn it? <laughs> Currently holding up a can of beer. I'm glad you fit it, Luke. I'm glad you fit the. It's only a small one, though. 
But yeah, that's how I joined the band. And I like went to rehearsal uh, on a Thursday. Yeah, well, I sent you the songs on like the Tuesday. And then you came to rehearsal on the Thursday and you nailed it at rehearsal. And then we were like, we got a gig tomorrow. Do you want to do that? <laughs> so three three days after getting the material, you were like, cool, on stage. Yeah, you your, your music stand set up with the tabs for reference. I did, I did. There's a bit, there's a bit in Sophie, the song that's on a split with Death Dolls. It's like in 3-4 or something, or there's like a break where it goes into another time, time signature for like a bar. And I like played it, and these two are like, oh, they actually right. played the break. We should probably ask this guy to join. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Josh, considering, obviously, as the drummer, the rhythm section is so vital, you, you are like a vital cog in holding that down. Um, what was it like for you when you discovered that Luke was this like supreme out of base and there was actually a chance there where maybe you could expand what you wanted to write as well in terms of the rhythm section? Um, I'm not really sure. I think like when, we, when, when you find a good bass player in metal, it is, it is quite a, it's quite a rare thing. Cause like, I feel like a lot of bands I've played in is it's always like a converted guitarist. <laughs> um and i think after our first practice um on the quiet to kate i was like he was doing stuff in in that song that that bassists don't normally do he was doing slappy things he was sliding his hands around he was playing the lower chords like i was like he actually knows what he's doing here but um yeah from a songwriting perspective i think we did there wasn't loads of sort of stuff of us really clicking together on this album because it was more if you listen to the more technical stuff, it's just so precise and just has to be in a certain way. It, it, it didn't sort of really come together in that way. Um, I think there's a few little bits where the bass and the drums can sort of lock in a little bit more, especially like on the last song, which is a bit more post metally. but that's more, I think, uh, Luke locking into my stuff that I'd already recorded because we did all the drum stuff first, but... It's one of the ones we've been talking about that hopefully we'll be able to do it a bit more organically, the songwriting stuff for maybe the next album. But again, we're not really able to get together at the moment. So it's proving a bit tricky, but it's nice to have the tools there for when we eventually do. But yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. The lock, the lock is real though. Yeah, I think we get a lot of people saying we're really tight as a free piece. I think it's one that Sorry, go on. Oh, yeah, I was going to say the, the, the locking together because we're, we're not really a band that like we jam together for like hours and hours, loads of times to get that locked down because the songs are so technical. It's like I've written for a lot of the technical parts. I have to write the well on this album. I wrote the um, drums and bass first as like a template of like this is sort of how it will work together. And then you interpret that and then we all sort of came together with those after learning them separately, getting all the time signatures and stuff down. And then when we come together to jam, it's like one or two playthroughs and it's locked because you can't not be locked in that sort yeah. of music yet. You go one eighth note out and then the whole song's off. Like it's, it's not, it's not, I watched this documentary uh, about ZZ Top at the weekend. And the first time they ever jammed, they was like, they said they played a shuffle in C. And they was like, we played for like three and a half hours. So 
You know, I think we need to get the jam down, right? No, it's it's really, really interesting that you mentioned that because I remember um, I, I watched Animals as Leaders at Download before and I, and I thought if someone drops here, the whole song's fucked. Like it's that it's so tight and the time signatures are so so like immovable that if someone drops the whole song's wrecked. And I had the same thought listening to the entirety of Mirrors. Like I can't imagine how frustrated it would have been in the studio if someone dropped, say, like four minutes into Collective Unconscious. If someone <laughs> drops, you're like fuck, will I do the whole song again? Um, like I, it must have been such a difficult record to actually create in terms of performing it um it was we we sort of handled it in chunks each um like josh came first i think both of my bandmates hate me after that recording session but the hate was worth it in the end (laughs) in the uh i was standing over each of them and being like that fill was played perfectly but what if you move this around, start and like after so many? It's a quaver, not a dotted quaver. <laughs> I felt like this must have been what like that trout mask replica album bandmates must have gone through. Like <laughs> just the very precise, like this yeah. has to be a certain way. Um, oh, I don't like the sound of that. Can you try that again at half time? Can you mix that bit up a bit? So yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a um, got a bit not heated, but it was a bit frustrating at times. But I think the sort of it speaks for itself that we took our time and instead of going "Eh, that sounds good enough I guess let's move on to the next song we actually tried different things and really tried to get a precise thing that we think sounds the very best because that's what recording's all about really it's not for some sort of recording it's good just to thrash something out really high energy but we approached it in more of a way we're going to try loads of different things and try and find the very best um recording of a chunk basically yeah there were even like chunks like of uh, the last like two minutes of collective like josh played for like six minutes just making up variations on the theme we got those back from the drum engineer and then i went through them we we all like we broke it down into chunks of the sections arranged them into what would be the best order and then we're like, that's the drum piece for that, because we didn't have anything like completely set in stone for it. And there were loads of little tweaks. There was a part where like Luke had done a sick bass line for like this, like this great take. And I was just like, oh, that note like in the middle there, that could be like a semitone higher. I think that would flow better. <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, that, that one, I think it had just gotten to the end of the day. And uh, the, the guy we were recording with just went in and like auto tuned that bass note. Like what's that? The only auto tune on the album was like one bass note got shifted a semitone. See if you can spot it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I wouldn't be able to. No, Kev, my understanding is that Crusher was the first time that you wrote lyrics uh, yeah. for the band. Is that correct? That's the only song outside of this album that I wrote right. the lyrics for. And how yeah. much confidence do you feel that... Because you kind of wrote them in the back of a taxi on the way to... That was rehearsal? on a bus. On a that, bus? That was on a bus to the way to the rehearsals. So right, there we go. Like... Some form of public transport. Um, how much like confidence... M&M. <laughs> how much confidence do you feel that experience gave you to then write this record that speaks from such personal experience uh, nothing really right, okay, it wasn't it it wasn't really any kind of 
impact on how the album was written. That was written in a very sort of, we need to play this song live, or we've got this song ready to play live. I'll make up some lyrics for it that are silly and gory uh, and sort of in keeping with the funny gore-grind lyrics we had before. Uh, And then after that, um, with the album, I sort of, I, I think at the start I approached it for like half of writing Marta's lyrics, maybe less of it. I got halfway in and then just discarded what I had because I was going for that sort of approach again. And then I was like, oh, wait, this is like an album. Like, loads of, like, um, we're putting all the effort in, we're recording this properly. I should put the same amount of care that goes into all the rest of the things with like wanting every semitone to be perfect with the lyrics as well and like write something that's meaningful to get a better emotional experience and something that like will be interesting to sing about and not just sounds that sound cool with the album so yeah it was it was sort of separate the like writing process on crusher compared to the rest of the album i spent a lot more time writing on the album for lyrics well, and plus it was so much more technical as well. Yeah. That it took a lot more time to figure out patterns. Uh, I don't know how I kept track of them all because I didn't record any. I'd like wrote them, write them down in my notepad and just like read them over while singing, like singing them in my head, listening to the song to like get the rhythms down. But... In terms of actually speaking about mirrors in terms of its sound, which is just this absolutely like insane, insane album. Um, that I've just really been captured by, like almost, almost instantly into hearing it. And I, I, in fact, I, I remember actually the exact moment where listening to Mirrors, I was like, "This band are fucking sick." It was uh, right after the finding new beings to corrupt and taking them down to your level of malignant rancor lyric, which which then drops into this like double time breakdown. I was like, "Oh my god, this band is so fucking sick!" Um, and that see space cowboy rip off breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that whole track is this really expansive, harsh, brooding, like diatribe. <laughs> Um, of modern society and I, and I feel now listening to the album in full several times I feel like Martyrs perfectly represents what's about to come for the next 40 odd minutes um, mm. Luke did, did the band specifically choose Martyrs as the opener to kind of like smash people in the face immediately and really set the stage for the rest of the record it was a it obviously has those qualities which is one of the reasons that it uh, sits at the top but um that was the track which was used uh, to set the template uh, for the tones and the levels and such that would be like applied to the rest of the tracks. So that was like the boilerplate mm. that we was going to use for the rest of mixing. Yeah, well, we're, we're mixing it here. Uh. Yeah, so I mean that that track, uh, we all became kind of uh, deaf to it really because we listened to it. Probably, I mean, probably Kate alone, you know, probably in three. I don't know, hundred, like hundreds, <laughs> many times, like, yeah. so many times. But that, that, like, that, I mean, it was written back, specifically so. from the idea of. I think, I think Josh came up with the start of that one. With um, we were just jamming the studio, and he was like, "Oh, I want to, want to do something for the start, like a song we can play at the start of a set that's just like." blasts like out of nowhere <laughs> and uh then he ended up writing blasts at 235 bpm and uh i think i think like originally we wanted to like do like blast beats that like modulated in speed 
and we were like oh, doing yeah, like, we were trying, we were, like yeah. slowing them down and speeding them up and like it was really weird i kind of think it, it does sort of do that slow down thing in the in the song a little oh, bit yeah we did keep a bit of the slide uh, but um i think that's where the whole idea of it stemmed from and i think you were doing like the guitar bends i was like that just sounds horrible and nasty and fast and just really over the top mm-hmm. um but yeah then it sort of morphed morphed into lots of different sort of genres and different areas um like it has a quiet section then it has the um yeah, as a sort of more like hardcorey sassy section again but yeah it's it's an in- i think it's a good song for like <laughs> you know to uh so, yeah as, as as yeah like to set the tone for the album really because it's mm. got a lot of different ideas and it's sort of at, at us at our craziest in a way well uh, so- sorry go on it fits the like the the way we've sort of written the album in chunks as well. Like, there's no one way a song's written. So, like that first riff is me and Josh jamming out something, coming up with something silly. Uh, the like breakdown at the end is Josh jammed out a load of drums on his own and sent me mm. a video of them, which I then tabbed out and wrote guitar part to that. Awesome. Like the second riff, uh, the like grindy one is I went on YouTube and put in grindcore drum track and just played something over. <laughs> And then it came out quite boring because I went like, uh, not boring because I love Pig Destroyer, but like I went very straight, uh, very straight with it. And then I sent that to Luke, and Luke was like, oh, that's not weird enough. And then I made it weirder, and it ended up being the hardest thing to play on the album. (laughs) Uh, And then like the middle bit's just like me riffing the. Uh, the like slower sludgier riff is was just me riffing out and then like I gave that to the others to figure out something so it's sort of like every that part song of that song class finished today what that's songwriting class finished today <laughs> <laughs> yeah pupil size the school of songwriting I mean there's a there's a song that has a main riff like from gentgenerator.com where I just got it to generate an idea rhythmically and then generate. put that in the song so yeah uh, well, Josh, you you kind of mentioned it. Just the, the songs fleet from ideas so quickly. Like uh, Lapel Divide uh, is a great example. Uh, it spends the first thirty seconds sounding like kind of for me like straight from the path slash modern hardcore, and then drops into this kind of I don't know like Ithaca Dillinger Escape Plan just blast. Um, Walk me through the process of you structuring your songs together. You kind of have just, but uh, in, in, a, in as much detail as you possibly can, because to me, it sounds like it would be a nightmare. Um, yeah, like as, as Kate was sort of saying, there wasn't really any two songs that were the same. I think Lapel actually was one of the ones that was mainly just Kate came up with pretty much everything for that song, along with the um, the drums as well, like... There's sort of a mixture of um, ideas where like some were from rhythmic ideas, some me and Kate jamming together. But Lapel was one where I think Kate just done pretty much the majority of the writing for that. But yeah, I think I think you can sort of get sprinkles of you say like ideas are fleeting and they change. But like the stabbing sort of sounds in it are like a bit of a motif. Mm. in the out al- in the album like the clean choruses like there's not there's not loads of choruses but that's sort of something that keeps sort of coming back a little bit again but yeah it's sort of tricky to really give it a sort of full breakdown of how we sort of approach a song because there's just so many different ways we we approached um that sort of process in the album but yeah i think that song came out really good but it's 
um, obviously got guest vocals on it as well and some sort of clean sections. So we've sort of just, we've just really been experimenting on this album and we sort of always knew that it would be us finding our feet by just playing stuff we really like and coming up with different ideas and just putting them all into a pot and seeing what sort of comes out. And then maybe when we go forward, we can sort of home our sound a little bit more and sort of see what people like more importantly. Like I'm quite, I didn't expect it to get such a good reception as it has so far off of two singles. And it's been really flattering to hear what people have been saying about it and giving feedback. So. I'm interested to see which tracks people really love and which ones they're not as fond of and which ones get a better response live. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a work in progress. But, yeah, I hope that sort of answered your Yeah, no, it has. On it. No, yeah. no, it has. I mean, um, my favourite band at the minute is probably Card Orange. Um, and the the technical nuance and glitches and, uh, and those kind of, like, electronic aspects that, get like kind of like sprinkled over the album every now and again. And then they're just surrounded by these pinch harmonics and blast beats and sludgy riffs. It's just like, for me, who's not a musician, I'm listening to this. And to me, it's literally like, I don't understand how this is being done. Um, but even I feel like if, if you was a musician, the, the technical ferocity that is all over mirrors, it just sounds like, it would be this nightmare to write. And I suppose going a bit further on that, having a good producer on board for this record would just be such a vital, vital cog. Um, did did Pedram have to pull you back in certain areas or have to stop you from adding too much in or kind of pull the reins back and be like, that, that's enough on that song. that You don't need to add any more. Well, yeah, we've credited him as producer and like he helped with adding in little bits here and there and stuff but I think uh, we were sort of like just very like we didn't go back and forth on the songs with him when we sent him all the songs they were done and then there were just certain parts where I was like not sure what to do here you can just like put some glitchy stuff in that cap please <laughs> um and like I had like temp versions of what I wanted but I, a, a guideline but I think on our on our future material, we're definitely going to go more back and forth with him. The aim is we'll get the whole album demoed on our end, send it to him with like no conceptions of like, tell us to get rid of entire sections or play stuff more or like give us direction that like we're not going to be attached to these songs. And then we can have a lot more of an in-depth sort of um, process. Cause there were, he gave us a lot of notes on this um, once it was done and like what he thought about the songwriting and I think that's really useful to go into the next one um, but yeah there wasn't a huge amount of back and forth on this album with him uh, in terms of songwriting at least. Uh, Kate we've spoken about kind of your first experiences in terms of uh, lyric writing um, and how your previous experience of writing them on the back of that bus didn't really do much for you, you Just you just did it as like a a bit of a joke at the time, but then obviously been thrust in to be the lyric writer for this album. And this album takes like a real, real interesting but dark lyrical context for, for most of its for most of its playtime. Um 
was it difficult for you to really like kind of lay your emotions and past experiences out there? Because I'd, I'd imagine that's an incredible challenge and, and one you should absolutely be commended for. Uh, but was that difficult for you at the time? Yeah, definitely. I think it took me a, a while with the songs to sort of feel more comfortable being more open. So a lot of the songs I wrote earlier on in the process, which are songs I wrote because we wanted to play them live and I needed to write lyrics for them. Um, the, those ones like Wind Upon My Skin, Husk, um, mainly those two. I think they were like the first two we were doing live. Um, They're a bit more vague in their structure um, and a bit more, like, less direct. Um, I still had meaning behind them, but I wasn't sure how much I wanted to commit into being like, I'm going to write this song about this specific thing. Uh, Whereas later on in the album, I feel like I put, a lot more effort in like on martyrs and stabbing spiders on collective unconscious those are the songs where i've like poured out my heart onto it save the dream kill your friends like oh i I spent a lot of time on those and at the time i was even like i might not release the lyrics for this album i'm not sure if i feel comfortable with it but uh, yeah I, i think i've written them in such a way that like they've got a meaning to me but I feel like other people can probably read them, read in their own meaning. And I think that's what music is. It's not, the artist has a vision of it, but after then it's what the listener gets from it. And uh, I want to make sure that listeners can get what they want from it. And um, if someone's got an experience with any kind of like oppression or uh, discrimination, like uh, experiences with depression or anxiety or anything like that, that you can probably find something in there to really relate to and I think that was important to me to make sure that um you can get your own things because some of my favorite songs I've got my own interpretations of from other bands that the artist would probably be like no that's not about that at all but what matters is what you take from the song and what makes you fall in love with the lyrics so I think writing it open like that whilst having my own meaning behind it means I can give a, a performance that lives up to what I've written and other people can get whatever they get out of it which hopefully something positive and a connection of some kind absolutely the the lyrics are, are really really uh, genius i feel and though like you know a lot of it i don't personally have an experience of feeling a connection to that the the way that these stories are told within this like insane insane math core atmosphere uh, really really captured me and i think um, that I think lyrically this album could do a lot for a lot of people. So that's why I said uh, you should absolutely be commended for the way that the lyrical context of the record is structured. Um, Luke, in terms of uh, records, for record labels for a band that's so far so close to your kind of infancy, I guess, uh, pupil size, he's such a new band. It's a it's a really important choice. So what, was there a specific conversation you remember happening with prosthetic records that made them the feel like the perfect fit well firstly you're right that is is great it was a a great move for us but to be honest i I can't say that we uh we're juggling offers um (laughs) or or negotiating right Uh, it's to 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 be truthful we we did well well okay i mean we contacted holy raw yeah like yeah they were like oh well, good thing we on. didn't end up with them <laughs> <laughs> i was yeah, thinking that when you first said it to be fair 
Corona. So, no. they, so they said no, thankfully. Um, <laughs> you know, the, that label aside, that we went, well, you know, we can't afford that would be a good fit for us. Um, but alas, but we, we hit up a couple of different labels and Prosthetic were one of the first to buy it. Um, if not anything to do with some of the clout chasing that we were doing with some of the people that we had involved, um, like, like Mike Malian from Monuments, who is mm. maybe one of the best prog drummers, metal drummers around. Yeah. Uh, and Ped, like you said as well, um, kind of bring, we thought we'd get the right staff involved. Um, and then also the social cachet helps because it did it did catch the eye um yes as steve so. came back to us within like three hours of that first email and was like love mike and uh ped's fantastic love everything he does uh song's great i love it i'll show it to everyone else and then like within the week we were signed <laughs> so sort of uh, we, getting the names on there did help but uh you know i, I think it seems like the people at Prosthetic are really genuine with wanting to find bands that um, are fresh. They've got something that they saw something in us clearly. Like we had the entire album done when we gave it to them with album art- artwork and we're just like, here's our plans for the rest of the year. We want to release it around this time. Uh, we've got these plans to tour. Well, obviously not anymore, but uh, we had plans to tour <laughs> at certain points and uh yeah i think coming with it all fully formed made it easy for them to like listen and be like this is sick and these people seem organized uh we are starting to just run uh towards the end of our time here now i introduced something called the quick fire round at the start of 2021 to the noise podcast which is basically we get a musician from a band uh, i ask them 20 questions they're on a timer to see how quickly they can get through them now we've had a vocalist a drummer and a guitarist uh, do it so far. So, Luke, I'm nominating you <laughs> as to be the first bassist uh, to take on this quick fire round. So, I'm going to ask you 20 questions, dude, and we're going to see how how quickly you can go through them. Thus far, my mom is in the lead. Uh, she did them in, she did it in uh, one minute and 20 seconds <laughs> somehow. So, we'll see how. I don't know how she did it, but somehow uh, she managed. So, we'll see how you get on, man. When you're ready, dude, I'm going to start this timer and start asking you questions. Hit me. I'm listening. Let's go. Batman or Superman? Batman. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Netflix or Disney Plus? Disney Plus. Favorite pupil slice of song? Uh, kill, uh, collective unconscious. Yes. Uh, Marvel or DC? Marvel. Best time of the day? Morning. Favorite album of all time? Power Slave by Iron Maiden. Jeans or shorts? Jeans, because I'm an adult now. <laughs> Favourite TV show of all time? Uh, Black Adder. Best gig, best gig you've ever been to? Um, one of the best, seeing, seeing Dillinger Escape Plan at the Barfly in the You're afternoon. Kidding. Boy, In the afternoon, Jesus. Uh, band member that's most fun to be around in the studio? For, uh, Josh, because I haven't recorded <laughs> it yet. That one gets everyone. Uh, ketchup or mayo? Mayo. Favourite non-musical pastime? Um, hiking. Uh, your favourite movie? Uh, taxi Driver. Hardest pupil slice of song to write? Uh, I haven't written it yet. 
Awesome. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can only save one, Harrison Ford or George Clooney. Can't I save George Clinton instead? <laughs> uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? I was. Uh, best gig you've ever played? Um, I, I, my, my band got to support... De- another band I was in once supported Decapitated. That was amazing. Sick. Um, you can only save one, uh, Christian Bale or Ben Affleck. Kill them both. <laughs> uh, best advice you could give someone uh, the best thing that you can probably do outside of helping your family is to um, probably mentor a young person which I do and I'm, I think that's an important thing to do dude you clocked in just at two minutes but that I asked you some questions that I haven't asked people before I specifically went hard uh, dude that was awesome I'm proud of you man that was a great effort Guys, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Mirrors is an awesome record. Um, hearing about its uh, backstory and how it's put together was awesome as well. Um, this was awesome. Thanks for, the, thanks for the care and the research. It's no, no, you're welcome, man. This has been the most you. researched interview yeah. we've had. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 um, I'll take that as a massive compliment. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate your time. Mirrors is awesome. I really hope I'll catch you somewhere down the road. Yeah, it'd be great to see you at a live show. Uh, take care, guys. Right, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.